The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So as we move through Advent, we are paying closer attention to how the gospel helps us in our waiting. Waiting is exactly what many of us are doing a lot of these days. We all are very well aware by now that around two years ago, a cloud descended on our world. And we have been waiting expectantly ever since for what our world will look like when this pandemic is over. Whether you wait for the day when masks will no longer be needing to be worn at school, or when your travel plans can be made without wondering whether they're going to fall through, we wait. Now, it may surprise you to know that John the Baptist comes to a world not unlike ours. The passage in Luke that will be our focus this morning tells the story of a man named John who comes to a people who are waiting too. The Jewish people for centuries knew that they were waiting for the world to change. They were waiting for their world to change. They weren't exactly waiting for the cloud of a pandemic to rise. They were waiting for a savior. A savior that would deliver them from the hands of their oppressors. Inside each and every Jewish person was a longing for the world to be different. Every time they walked down the street, they were reminded, not by seeing masks on people's faces, but by seeing Roman soldiers on every corner, that their world was not the way that it should be. And they longed for God to act and to redeem Enter John the Baptist. He begins preparing people for the world to change. But he does it in a way that nobody would have expected. Are you wrestling with our changing world? Have you found yourself frustrated or dismayed at current events? Are you worried even about what this world may look like when this pandemic rises? But then John's baptism is for us. No, he doesn't tell us what will happen in our world. Instead, just like the Jews way back when, John prepares us to welcome Jesus into this moment, into our lives right now. How does he do it? Well, let's look at three things in this passage. Let's look at John's message, John's baptism, and John's witness. John's message, John's baptism, and John's witness. So first, what's John's message? Well, John's message is unique because it comes in the way that we would least expect it to, and yet it challenges everyone. You see, John's message is one that the Jews were waiting a long, long, long time to hear, as I said before. But if you were strategizing... Imagine yourself for a moment thinking this through. If you're strategizing a message that was for an entire nation, I'd imagine that you would want it to be noticed by the most amount of people. 
And so you'd probably make sure that you got some space on all the right social media platforms. You'd cover every generation. So you'd start with Facebook, and then you'd move to Instagram and Snapchat, and then this thing that people call TikTok, right? Or you'd also make sure that um, it showed up in the Hamilton Spectator for all those who are still loyal to the daily paper. And then you wanted to make sure that it reached every person possible. So you'd stand up in the corner of Jackson Square and shout it so that people could hear. In the same way, we would expect John's very important message to come through loud and clear to the Jewish people. And so it should be broadcast in the middle of the temple, the place where Jews went on a daily basis. Or it would be uh, shouted out from the street corners in Jerusalem, right? Uh, uh, the Times Square in Jerusalem. Is that how this happens? No. Where does God's word come to, John? In the wilderness. Why does it come to John in the wilderness, and why does he preach it in the region of the Jordan? That is a big question in this passage, and I think two reasons come to mind. And first is, if we place ourselves in the shoes of a Jew, uh, the wilderness is actually not just the middle of nowhere. The wilderness is the place where God speaks to his people. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, God led them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And at the foot of Mount Sinai, when, when um, the, the, God met with his people and he, he promised them, he made a covenant with them that he would lead them into the promised land. And ever since then, the Israelites associated the wilderness with God. One person I read this week put it like this. In Israel's history, the wilderness represents a place of testing, a place of repentance, a place of grace. God brought deliverance to Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. And thereafter, the wilderness becomes a place of prophetic hope. And what this Bible scholar is saying is that the wilderness has pedigree. It has significance. It has meaning. When the word of God comes to a prophet in the wilderness, you, you shut up and you open up your ears. Because God is speaking. And we should do the same. We should take these cues from the scriptures and say, this message is important for all those who follow Jesus, including us today. It comes in the way we least expect it, but it has pedigree. And it challenges everyone, too, because there's more. Luke includes... In verse 3, that John went into the region around the Jordan to proclaim his message of repentance. I didn't pick up on this before, but I did this week. What's so fascinating about this little snippet in verse 3 about where Luke, uh, John proclaims this message is that this is actually a direct quotation from the book of Genesis. In Genesis 13, when uh, Abraham and Lot are deciding who's going to settle where, Lot chooses the plain around the Jordan. And why this is significant is because the place where Lot settles ends up to be the stomping grounds of two of the most sinful and detestable cities in the history of the scriptures, Sodom and Gomorrah. You may remember that story where God destroys both of those cities because of their sinful practices. 
Yeah, the Jews would have remembered this too. And so when Luke is including this in his gospel, he is intentionally calling to mind the the fact that John's message of repentance comes in a place, the place, where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. Why include a detail like this? Because this is the way Jesus comes to us. John doesn't preach to the people who think they have the right answers, who are the morally upright and the perfect. He preaches to people who have to see their brokenness, who have to recognize that they're sinful and needing a fresh start. Jesus doesn't break into the lives of people who have it all together, but those who know that they need help. And we prepare our hearts for Jesus in the same way. In humility and in our brokenness, we admit our need. That's ground zero for the Christian. And this challenges everyone. John says to the religious moralist, you need to come to Jesus. You need to prepare your hearts like you're a citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah. You need to see it. You can't come to God with your good works and your morals. It doesn't work like that anymore. It's different. God's kingdom is breaking in. Prepare your hearts. And John also speaks to those who are skeptical of religion, and he calls everyone to repent. Everyone is to prepare their hearts because the king is coming, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah too, and people will be held accountable for their actions. Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He wants to break in. Now, we don't wait for Jesus to come. We wait for Jesus to come again. And his rule in this world is here. We know that. We are not like, exactly like those Jews who are preparing themselves for Jesus for the first time. But we live in a world that's called the already but not yet kingdom. It's a theology word for the fact that this world is still not what it should be. There are parts that God is still redeeming. Parts of us and parts of our world. And what this means for us when we consider this passage is that we need to see on a daily basis that every day is an opportunity to receive Jesus into our lives in a new way. The ordinary parts, the Sodom and Gomorrah parts, the times that we're a religious moralist and the times that we're a skeptic are opportunities for us to receive the good news that our King is coming and that he is making all things new. Paul reminds us of this in the passage in Philippians where he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion on the day of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, God will not give up on you. So this is John's message to us. What about his baptism? Baptism builds on his message. Because John's baptism prepares us to receive Jesus into our lives. If you are confused about what John's baptism is, don't worry. You'll be in good company, because I know that there's many of us are. You may be thinking to yourself, hold on a second, how can John be baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins? I thought Jesus did that. How can John be offering the forgiveness of sins? Is he? No. 
John is preparing people to receive Jesus. He is a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And in a way, think about it like this. Imagine you're in grade eight. For some of us, this is close to a reality. Others of us, this is far from a reality. But put yourselves in the shoes of someone in grade eight, and you're walking into school, and you sit down at your first class, and you look up on the board, and you see written in big letters, advanced functions and relations. And you know you're in trouble. Why? Because they don't teach you advanced functions in grade eight. That's for grade 12. Now, what are the chances that you, in your grade eight self, are able to sit in that seat and learn everything that you need to know about the lesson and perform the homework perfectly? I'm probably not, not good at all. See, because you're missing what we would call prerequisite classes. We're, we're, you're missing the background information that the concepts of grade 12 functions are building on. In the same way, John's baptism is the prerequisite course for the kingdom of God. It is essential information before Jesus comes that we need to know. John is preparing people for Jesus. He's teaching about the rhythm of the kingdom, what it's all about, how different it is from the way that things have been in the past. How does he do that? He reframes how we approach God. See, because John's baptism is all about repentance. What is repentance? Often, I think we, we often think about repentance as saying sorry for the things that we've done that are bad. If you tell a little lie and you feel terrible inside because you know you've let God down or you've let your parents who taught you not to lie, you've let them down. And so we repent, right? We say, I'm sorry. You come clean. But what's the motivation for that type of repentance? Well, most of the time it's because we feel terrible inside and we want to feel better. And so we repent, we confess, and then we feel a lot better when that's done. So, and essentially that's selfishness. Others of us might think of repentance a step deeper than that. Repentance is changing our behavior. It's not the act of confessing our lie. It's promising never to lie again. You know, we, we say, okay, now that I've done that, I'm never, 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 ever, ever, ever going to do this again. But notice that it's still stuck in that selfish mentality. Most of us would not want to lie because we don't want to feel the consequences of that lie. We don't want to be in God's bad books, or we don't want to let our parents down, or we don't want the uncomfortable feeling of having to admit that we've done something that we didn't, you know, aren't proud of doing. Essentially, both of these instances is selfishness. We're reacting against the consequences of our actions. But looking at repentance in these ways doesn't quite scratch the itch of what it, the, the John is talking about here. Because if we look a little bit past this text, we'll see that John says something rather interesting about repentance. In, in the next part, he says, he calls all people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now just think hard with me for one moment, and I promise it's just one moment. Producing fruit, which to John means being generous, not lying, seeking justice, is actually separated from the repentance. It's not wrapped up in the act of repentance. It's something different. Repentance is deeper than just saying sorry or or promising not to do something again or trying hard. And what is it then? I think New Testament scholar N.T. Wright gets us on the right track when he says this. Christian living is far more than simply repentance, but it is not less. All spiritual advance begins with turning away from what is hindering obedience. I think that's very important for us here. All repentance is turning away from what is hindering obedience. What hinders obedience? We do. We do. We want things our way. We want things on our time. We want things that make us happy. And often we approach God in this pattern. You know, we, we get caught in these moral behaviors where we think, if I'm good, then God will be good to me. But that's hindering our true obedience to God. We're not giving ourselves to him. We're giving ourselves to him so he gives back to us. And if things don't go the way that we think that they should, then we blame God. No, repentance, as John is saying, is something radically different. It is a heart change. It is abandoning ourselves and giving every part of us to God. John's baptism calls us to hit the spiritual reset button and to give ourselves to God fully, not because of what he gives back to us, but simply because of who he is, because Jesus is coming. Prepare yourselves. But that's a big jump. That's a big ask. How can we know that Jesus can be trusted with all of our hearts and lives? Look at John's witness. John witnesses to Jesus. Right? We we read about it in uh, in the way that he that that the gospel writer Luke uses that quotation from uh, from Isaiah. He's going to make straight. We should make straight paths for him because every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight. The rough ways will become smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. Jesus is a king who's coming, and he's going to make right everything that was wrong. How can we know that he does this for us? Because he's earned it. You see, the way most kings come is by conquering and and, and maintain their status as king, is by conquering through military power, through political excellence, through pure aggression and destruction. And in fact, if you asked the Jewish people what they would want in a Messiah, that's exactly what they would have been looking for. 
But Jesus, to Jesus, that would have been too easy. And too easy and not enough. He was after something deeper. He was after something better. See, he was around for more than just kicking the Romans out. He was there to enact the kingdom of God, to bring about the restoration of all things, including of ourselves and our forgiveness. In one part of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going to heal a guy. And, and the, the religious leaders are, are questioning him. And he says to them, which is easier? To say that your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Which one is easier? But I want you to know, Jesus says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, how can Jesus say that? He's essentially saying, you know, it's easy for me to say to this man, get up and walk. What's harder is to get the authority to forgive sins, and yet I have that. And how does he have that? Because Jesus went to the cross. He went there to become the king over everything, to be the victor over sin and death. It wasn't easy for him. He walked this difficult and painful journey to the cross, but he did it for us. He did it so that we may be saved. He did it so that we may accept and know that nothing will separate us from him. Of all the people in our world today, we are people who have hope. Hope that in the middle of the challenges, the frustrations, the real anxieties of our pandemic, that the cross is still true, that the kingdom has come, and that Jesus, in the middle of all of this, is breaking into our lives. We can see this through John's message. We can begin to practice it through, God, uh, through John's baptism. And we can trust it in John's witness of Jesus, the King who gave himself for us. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you came, that you laid down your life for us, and that you took on all the power and authority of this world and are now king over everything. God, we thank you that you have the authority to forgive sins, to make us new, to um, work towards the restoration of all things. And we pray that as we uh, look out into this world today, all of the challenges, all of the difficulties, all the anxieties, that we would have the faith to see you breaking into our lives in new and different ways. Father, give us your Holy Spirit that we may um, welcome you into our lives, even if it's different than what we would have thought. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.